Welcome to a special holiday edition of Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 297. Well, I always wanted to write. Ever since I was little, I always wanted to be an author. Attention, gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Not that I'm Santa, of course, but I'm here with a holiday gift for you. This is a lighthearted, spirited episode inspired by the gentle, joyful, and peaceful intent of the season. We're going to hear a snippet from Heidi Swain's Christmas story, Mince Pies and Mistletoe, for the Christmas market. It will warm your soul as you're busy scurrying around with the final preparations for Christmas. The story you'll hear revolves around a small-town craft market, which reminds me to tell you that our virtual holiday vendor village is still open. Booths have been updated to include New Year's products and even some Valentine's offerings. So if you haven't visited or you want to jump back in to check out what's new, you can get there directly through giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash enter vendor village. The vendor village will close on December 31st in preparation for next year. And I can't wait to share with you what's up. But of course, that's all for later. So now, it's time to settle into a cozy little spot if you can break away for a few minutes, or just listen while you're wrapping and shipping. You'll hear from Heidi with her beautiful British accent as she shares the life of a best-selling author and a reading from one of her charming Christmas books. I have a special treat for you today. I'd like to introduce you to author Heidi Swain. Although passionate about writing from an early age, Heidi acquired a degree in literature, flirted briefly with a newspaper career, married, and had two children before she plucked up the courage to join a creative writing class and take her literary ambitions seriously. A lover of vintage paraphernalia and the odd bottle of fizz, she now writes feel-good fiction with heart for Simon & Schuster. Her debut novel, The Cherry Tree Cafe, was published in July 2015, and since then, she's had a further 10 books published, becoming a Sunday Times bestseller in 2017. Heidi is currently celebrating the release of her new 2020 festive title, The Winter Garden. Heidi, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Hello, and thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here today. So excited that you're here too. And together, let's wish everybody who celebrates Merry Christmas because it's this week. (laughs) Merry Christmas, everybody. Yay. (laughs) I want to start off by asking you about your motivational candle. And I'm really excited to hear this because we chatted a little bit in the pre-chat that you thought this was an interesting, fun question. So if you were to share with us what type of a candle you would create that really would speak to you, what would your motivational candle look like? I love this question. It's so unusual. I've never been asked anything like this. So I have given it some thought. 
and the colour of my candle is green. It's my favourite colour. It's so verdant and rich. And I've gone for green, really, because I just love to spend time outdoors, whatever the weather, whatever the season. So I've got a nice green candle, maybe with like a pine scent. I think that's perfect for this time of year, but that would please me any time of year, really. So that's that's kind of what it would look like. Love it. Perfect. And do you have any type of a quote or a mantra or a saying that you often go back to that really resonates with you? It's kind of changed a bit this year. This 2020 has been probably the most unusual year any of us have ever lived through. So I'm keeping it very simple. I've just got two words and they are be present. I've already got it on a post-it on my desk and it's just a little reminder there every day. I think because of the industry that I work in and especially because I write two books a year, I've got to be super organised. I've always got to be planning ahead. Um, Today, for example, I've had a meeting with my agent and editor about the next book that I'm going to be writing and that won't be published until Christmas 21. So we're working a long way in advance. So my working life has to be a bit of a long-term project and it's full of dates and deadlines. But as I said, this year has really brought into focus that sometimes it doesn't pay to always be looking too far ahead because we can miss what's happening in the here and now. So even though professionally I have to be organised on a personal level, I'm trying to focus on the day that's happening right now, be present in the here and now. Um, I'm squeezing in lots of extra things and enjoying life's simple pleasures I'm going for a walk every day, which is benefiting my mental health as well as my physical health. And I'm reading and baking and knitting and just making sure that I'm getting as much as I can out of each and every day and sort of living in the moment. I love it. And that's clearly how you focus and get so much done. As you were saying that, I'm also thinking, especially this year of all years, looking and anticipating what could possibly be can just lead to a whole bunch of anxiety because none of us really knew how this was going to play out through the year. We're hopefully walking into the end of this. Luckily, we're doing a countdown to the new year and 2021 for sure is going to be different, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with you. And for working, because I work from home and obviously being an author, you work on your own an awful lot. So not being able to get out and about as I usually would. We've had a couple of lockdowns here now in the UK and I've kind of really missed socialising. So my friends and I are making more of an effort to meet online. We have Zoom calls and we have kind of like private messaging things going on just to make sure we're all keeping in touch with each other, looking out for each other. And yeah, just making the most of every opportunity, really. When you go out walking, are you walking by yourself or are you meeting up with a friend or what are you doing with that? Pretty much walking on my own at the moment. I get up quite early and it's dark here in the mornings until nearly seven o'clock, but I kind of go out about 10 to seven in the morning and then I can be back home by about half seven, quarter to eight, and then I start my working day. So it's an early walk, but I'm making sure I'm getting those steps in and it's just nice to get out there and watch the changing season. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So that's another thing that we have in common. Besides the crafting and the love of snow, (laughs) which we talked about, also I'm walking each day. I'm finding that that just really sets my mind up. Whether I do it in the morning or the afternoon, I vary it. But I usually get myself at least an hour walk in every day. Same thing. It's such a huge mood lifter. Getting outside, that's one of the really strong themes in the Winter Garden. I was desperate to include that. And it just felt like the right time to put that into a book. 
It's been scientifically proven now that if we just spend a few minutes looking at green things growing every day, it triggers off the serotonin in our brains and it gives us a real boost. And so I'm all for encouraging people to do that, even though the weather might not be great. I still want people to put their Wellington boots on and get outside for a little while. Yes, absolutely agree. So you gave us a peek already into somewhat how you create some of your information because you were talking about this for the Winter Garden, which is the most recent book that's been published, right? Yeah, came out in October, beginning of October, this one. Wonderful. So Gift Biz listeners, you know that I always like to do something special on Christmas and we have a treat coming up. You're going to be in suspense because I am going to delay it for a couple of minutes. But Heidi is going to be reading to us from one of her books, just a little clip so we can get a feel for the style, because how appropriate and fun and wonderful for the holidays. But before we get into that, Heidi, I have some questions for you. Okay. Talk to me about the life of an author a little bit more in terms of how you got here. I know what you were talking about in the intro, but when you actually decided you were going to start writing that first book, how did that happen? Well, I always wanted to write. Ever since I was little, I always wanted to be an author. I don't know if you're familiar with the film Romancing the Stone with Kathleen Turner and Douglas. Oh, yes. There's the scene at the beginning where she's in the flat and she's got her headphones on and she's typing away. And I was really young when that film came out, but I always kind of imagined myself being in a flat with a cat and and doing that. It was ideal for me. I didn't mind so much that I wouldn't go on the adventure like Kathleen Turner did, but I loved the thought of being able to sit and write my stories and tell my stories all day. So I've always wanted to do it. So is that what it looks like behind the scenes where you write something similar to that? To be honest, yeah, I have to say I'm in my sweatpants today. um, Because you can. (laughs) Up in the bedroom, but the cat's downstairs. She's not up here with me today, but she's downstairs. But yeah, it does actually look a little bit like that. But I didn't do anything about it. I think it was lack of confidence. I didn't actually start writing for myself until I was in my 30s. I'd studied literature. I'd worked on a newspaper. I'd done parish magazines, local blogs about my chickens and my gardening and all that sort of thing. But I hadn't ever plucked up the courage to actually sit down and write fiction. And then eventually I decided I'd got a big birthday looming. And if I didn't make a start, then I was never going to do it. And I think we're all guilty of saying, oh, I'll do it when the time's right. Time is never right. We just have to kind of grasp the nettle and get on with it, really. So that's what I did eventually. I think that's a really important point for all of us. And I'm going to just interject here for a second that as we start looking at a new year, this is something for us to reflect on too. Like what is something that we've been thinking we've wanted to do and we've kept putting it off and kept putting it off for maybe it's an excuse, the time isn't right yet, or maybe it's not even an excuse. Maybe that's just what you really think. Yeah. But I love what you're saying. You just have to decide. Like It's almost now or never. And I hate the idea of getting farther along in life where maybe you wish you would have started earlier because now you don't have as much time to enjoy and do what you'd been wanting to do for so long. And most of the time, we are the ones who are putting the wall up in front of ourselves. Nobody else is. You're totally right. So many people say to me, oh, I'd love to write a book, but I haven't got the time. Well, you never gain more hours in the day. When I started out writing books, when I decided that I wanted to have a go at writing a novel, I was working as a teaching assistant for children with special educational needs. My own children were quite young. So I used to get up at five o'clock in the morning and do an hour before everybody else got up. 
And then I would sit in my car for my lunch break and carry on writing then. And then I would carry on in the evening when I got home. And I was doing that right up until about book four. That was the routine. And I didn't have any more hours in the day. I just had to snatch these little brief bits of time that I could. And then it sounds like it's changed now and you're doing it differently today. Yes. Now I'm writing full time. So when I wrote that first book, I became a member of the Romantic Novelists Association and they have a new writer's scheme, which means that you can submit a manuscript to them every year to be critiqued. I put the Cherry Tree Cafe in and it had a very, very good appraisal. I was so excited about it. And I decided that that was the book that I wanted to launch my career. And then Simon and Schuster had a one day call for unsolicited manuscripts. So you didn't need an agent. You didn't need the manuscript to have been professionally edited. And if they liked it, they would call you and hopefully offer you a deal. And that's exactly what happened. All within the space of about a year, it happened very quickly. Oh, my gosh, that is so exciting. I have like the goosebumps over here because <laughs> that would be like the perfect story, right, that it would happen that way. It was hard work, but it was like a fairy tale. It was amazing. Best feeling in the world. Yeah. But so were you anxious before you submitted it? You had gotten confirmation that it was good. But then when you were going to submit it to Simon & Schuster, were you like hesitant to push the submit button? <laughs> or Like, how did you feel at that time? I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified because it was a case of it wasn't just me who was going to be reading those words. It wasn't just the lady or gent at the RNA who would be reading those words. This was going to a really, really big publisher. In the end, it was just a case of it is now or never. And this was such a fantastic opportunity. I just pressed send. I think it was something like the 18th or the 16th of July it went. And then I got an email back from them in, I think it was September invited me to go down to London to have a talk with an editor and the marketing lady. And even then, I still couldn't believe it. And even then I was thinking, you know, oh, well, if I didn't want to go, I'm sure I could talk myself out of it. I always used to be very good at talking myself out of things. But thank goodness I did go to that meeting and yeah, I had an offer of a YouTube deal. Oh my gosh. Have you heard the saying, just do it scared? Yeah. Exactly that. And that horrible feeling that you get in your tummy is just your body's way of preparing you to do something thrilling, I think. Right. And what if you wouldn't have done it? Oh, it doesn't bear thinking about. It really kind of makes me feel really quite ill <laughs> to think that all these books that I've got sitting on my bookshelf behind me, they wouldn't exist because all because I just didn't dare try. Right. Did you ever have a time when you had a manuscript that was kicked back for one reason or another? I wrote a book, an effort of a book, to see if I could write that many words. I think that's all you need to do with your first novel. Just see if you've actually got those that many words in. 100,000 words is a lot. So I wrote that book and put it to one side, and then I wrote The Cherry Tree Cafe. So The Cherry Tree was the second book that I wrote, and that was accepted. And then the second book in that deal is Summer at Skylark Farm. And that was kind of, there were elements of that very, very first book that I pulled out to include in that one. So I know I've been really lucky. Everything's gone really, really well. And I haven't got anything languishing in a box anywhere. But that's quite unusual. I think I've just been really blessed. For sure. And I am so excited to hear more about it. But I still have some questions for you as the author. And the questions that I'm asking, I think, relate also to people who make something because we have similar challenges especially initially when you weren't writing all day 
or big chunks of time, you know, when you had to fit it into your schedule, like you were talking about in the morning or in the car or wherever you were finding time, that meant your time was so precious because it was so limited at that point. You know, you always hear about writer's block. I'm sure all of us have experienced it. Sometimes we just feel more creative than other times. Did you have any tricks so that when you were set at the time when you could actually start writing, you could actually dig in and do it versus staring at a piece of paper? (laughs) Yeah, I think for me, I'm a definite planner and that has kind of really helped. And I still use the same strategy even now that I'm writing full time. So in the early days, I would write quite a lot longhand, and that kind of gives your brain time to think as you're writing, whereas type is much more instantaneous. But I never end the day without knowing what I'm going to be writing the next day. So say if I was writing a chapter a day, I was always then make notes on what the next chapter was going to be. I might even write the opening paragraph to that chapter. I would never sort of stop not knowing where I was going. And then I would use the rest of the day to kind of mull over how the next bit is going to look. So definitely planning helps me with that. But also, I think that if you do get a bit of a block and you do get stuck, don't beat yourself up over it. Because I think the harder you try and force something, the more difficult it becomes. And I know we've talked about this already, but I find that if I'm kind of having a bit of a day where the words aren't coming, if I just leave it and go for a walk, get outside, just pound the pavements for half an hour or so. It kind of frees up a different part of your brain and you get back and you just feel calmer and then you can carry on. So I think taking a break is really good for keeping the flow going, if you like. Yeah, so don't fight it, just release and more than likely the ideas and thoughts will come to you. Exactly, just accept it. I used to find that if I did get stuck, I would tackle the ironing pile and that kind of, I think because it was monotonous, that would really help. Um, But this year I've realized because of COVID, life is too short to iron. So we've kind of abandoned that. (laughs) That's so funny. We do nicer things than ironing now. Walking. I'm sure ideas get created and generated and expand than when you're walking too. Yeah. And also, if you've got somebody you can bounce ideas off, if you've got people you can talk to. I had a Zoom meeting with my editor and my agent this morning talking about this new book. And we were trying to solve one particular problem that I've got with the planning. And I started talking to them about it. And as I was saying the words, I knew what the solution was going to be. So talking to people or talking at them sometimes can be just as productive as going for a walk and doing the planning, I think. Well, that's a great idea. Okay, so there's something that really makes me sad when I read a book that I love. And that is when it comes to the end, I feel like I'm losing my friends because I've gotten so entrenched in the characters. And of course, I'll have my favorites and their journey. And I don't want their journey to end. I want to stay friends with them past the book time. Yeah, that's a sign of a really good book. Yeah. So how do you develop your characters? Well, when I wrote the Cherry Tree Cafe, I wrote about a crafting cafe. And one of the friends was the baker and the other was the crafter. So that kind of felt like a very natural amalgamation for me. And it was fairly easy to kind of imagine these two women pooling their resources, joining forces to set up this business. And when I came to write the second book, which I wanted to be in the similar area to Winbridge, which is the town where a lot of the books are set. So then we had another female lead. But what I found was I didn't want to write that book in isolation. I wanted to be going back into the town and I wanted to be going back into the cafe. 
So in all of my books, there are threads that run through all of them. So that feeling that you get when you leave those characters behind at the end of the book, you kind of know with my books that it's not the end because at some point in a subsequent title, they're going to pop back up again and you're going to get to hear a little bit more about them. And it just kind of happens organically, really. They just become fixed in your head. Now, quite a, Lizzie Dixon, who is the main character in the first book, she's a huge fan of vintage clothes. And whenever I'm out shopping and if I see something vintage, I always think, oh, Lizzie would like that. I can't tell her because she's not real. But I kind of think about that. They're as real to me as my friends are. So do you think when you were putting together the characters, do you think that, okay, the baker is going to be a little bit stingy or very generous? Like, do you start giving attributes to your characters before you start writing? Or how do the personalities build up? Stay tuned for Heidi's answer on how she develops her characters. Plus, don't forget, she's going to be reading from her Christmas story in just a few minutes. Yes, it's possible. Increase your sales without adding a single customer. How, you ask? By offering personalization with your products. Wrap a cake box with a ribbon saying, Happy 30th birthday, Annie. Or add a special message and date to wedding or party favors for an extra meaningful touch. Where else can you get customization with a creatively spelled name or fine packaging that includes a saying whose meaning is known to a select two? Not only are customers willing to pay for these special touches, they'll tell their friends and word will spread about your company and products. You can create personalized ribbons and labels in seconds. Make just one or thousands without waiting weeks or having to spend money to order yards and yards. Print words in any language or font. Add logos, images, even photos. Perfect for branding or adding ingredient and flavor labels too. For more information, go to theribbonprintcompany.com. Oh, you know, it's such a difficult question to answer because when you've got the idea of who you want to be the star of the book, if you like, mm-hmm. quite often for me, they'll walk in and just present their personality. They're already quite fully formed. But if I do get stuck, I have like a character questionnaire. So I will ask all these questions, which will give me a much more rounded character. It hasn't got things on there like what colour hair have they got and what colour eyes have they got. It's things like what would they be doing on a Saturday morning? What food have they got in their fridge? What book have they got on their nightstand? And it's all these kind of little questions that help you create somebody who's three dimensional instead of two, I guess. I love that so much. And I have to break here and say this to everybody who's listening, because often in the business world, we're talking about, well, who's your ideal customer? And many times we just go very surface level, like they're a certain age group, women, men, like all of that. But what you just described, what types of magazines do they read? What do they do on the weekends? All of that to the point that we can get deeper to that level, we can then speak to that person so much better. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like sometimes your characters just create themselves to you as you're going. Yeah, they definitely do. You'll start the book, so you start writing, and you're kind of getting to know them. And then there's a point, you don't even realize it's happening, but there's a point where they just kind of take over. And you might want them to do one thing, and it's like, you really think I would do that? You really think I would react in that way or talk in that way or whatever? And quite often they will end up running the show if you like they can't I'm guided by them that sounds really weird doesn't it no it sounds fascinating it sounds like so much fun it is fun yeah it is are you ever stressed by deadlines 
This year, I have found it difficult, not so much at the beginning. I think at the beginning of the year, we were all quite right. We're going to beat this. We're all very optimistic and we're focused and we're driven and we're going to get through it. But kind of as the year's gone on, I found it harder. I had a deadline for next summer's book. And I also had a family bereavement at the same time as the deadline. And I had to ask for a week's extension, which is quite unusual. I don't usually ask for an extension, but I kind of needed that. Sure. Because you have to be in the zone and in the mood to write properly. Writing the first draft is fine. I can breeze through that generally, but this was writing the second draft. So you're fine tuning, which takes a lot more concentration. Um, So I needed that extension, but I've kind of got used to having a lot of deadlines because I write two books a year. You've always got two books on the go, in effect. I mean, like at the moment, I'm promoting The Winter Garden. I am about to start the copy edit of A Taste of Home, which comes out next April. But I am also planning and beginning to think about writing the first draft of the book, which comes out next Christmas. So, you know, you're juggling all these things. And I think I've got used to it, but I have to be organized. I have my schedule and I have my planner. And if I know I've got X amount to do by a certain date, I kind of I feel comforted by that because I break it down into chunks that I know I can manage. That makes sense. The only reason I was asking you if you were feeling stressed about it is because your characters sound like they come and the writing comes so naturally that you almost wouldn't have any pressure for a deadline. But you're also human. You're like all of us. And oh my gosh, I can't even imagine working on three books at once. Your mind has to flip back and forth to who's part of that book? Where am I in the story? And especially because as if your characters evolve and they jump from book to book, you might present something with a character in a book that's like coming up in the future. So you definitely can't say anything about it if you're working on a book that's before that. But you know, the strange thing is this book in the Winter Garden, there's quite a lot of Christmas in there. It's not a Christmas book per se like the others, but it's definitely got Christmas in there. And there's a lot of talk about, I can't say what it is, but there's a lot of talk about one particular thing. Mm-hmm. And when I was talking to my agent and editor this morning, we kind of realized that actually this thing that we're talking about in the Winter Garden is going to be able to come out and play a really important part in the book that comes out next Christmas. So it's almost like my brain is doing it automatically and thinking X number of books ahead because they're all set in similar area. You've got all, it's just like one massive big community, really. So we've got the setting of Wimbridge, which is a town in the Fens. We've got Nightingale Square, which is set in the city of Norwich. And then we've got the new setting of Winmouth, which is at the seaside. But all of these places have characters that link them together. So you've kind of got to be as familiar with it all as you are with your own family, really. Yeah, I can imagine. I am so excited to dive into these books. I can barely even stand it. (laughs) They sound marvelous. Okay, one more question before we have you read a little bit from your book, okay? Okay, yeah. Do you have a favorite character? Oh, that's a rotten question. I know, but I have to push you a little bit. That's so mean. Right, okay. No, you love them all. I do love them all, but actually... I think my favourite character is probably Gemma, who owns the Cherry Tree Cafe. Now, she has never been a main character. She is always a supporting lady. But I just love her. She runs the cafe. She has kids. She has a marriage. As you read through the books, there are other side businesses that she launches to be running as well as the cafe. She's very strong and she's very supportive. And she is kind of like the hub of the community. Yeah, she's an amazing character. 
I think I'm going to have a T-shirt with Be More Gemma printed on it. I love her. She's amazing. I'm going to say Gemma. Okay. And are you feeling like a little guilty about all your other characters right now? Ever so. I can see them all kind of lining up behind me with a bit of a scowl on their face. <laughs> yeah, it's like trying to get you to choose your favourite child. That's just impossible. People often ask me which is my favourite male character. And my standard answer to that is that I'm always in love with the leading man that I've just written about. I guess it's because he's all shiny and new and fresh out of the box. <laughs> I love that. So it's always the most recent male character. All right. Well, virtual hugs to all your characters because they're all important and they're all special. I get that. Well, you've pacified them now. They'll kind of recede into the background again. That's grand. <laughs> okay. All right. Perfect. All right. Well, I am going to hand it over to you. And this is our special treat to everyone who's listening. A little bit of a Christmas gift to them from you, mostly. I'd love for you to read a little bit, and I gave you free reign, whichever book, whatever you wanted to do. So, Heidi, take it away. Thank you. I'm really excited about this. I spent ages this morning trying to decide what to read, and I have gone for a scene from my first Christmas book called Mince Pies and Mistletoe at the Christmas Market. Now, this is book three in the Wimbridge series, so we've already got the Cherry Tree Cafe set up. And the main character in this book is called Ruby. Now, when the cherry tree opened, Ruby was doing her A-levels. So she was kind of 17, 18 and getting ready to go to university. And by the time Mince Pies and Mistletoe was written, she had been to university. She had finished her degree and she had moved back to the town to live with her parents for a while. She was just taking a bit of a break. And Gemma and Lizzie, they encouraged her to set up a market stall on the Wimbridge Market. The market was flagging a little bit and it needed revitalising. So Ruby took on the challenge of setting up this stall, but she helped out with lots of other things as well. And because I know lots of you are crafters, I thought it would be nice to read a scene today that actually takes place in the cafe at one of the crafting mornings. So here we go. I took a deep breath and pushed open the door to the cafe, hoping that my day indoors would warm my heart as well as my hands and set me back on track. Here you are, beamed Lizzie, throwing me my apron the second she heard the little bell announcing my arrival. You all set then? You have no idea how ready I am for this, I told her. I quickly tied my apron in place, looked up again, and then stood open-mouthed, all thoughts of what I had been going to say next quickly forgotten. I spun around on the spot, trying to take in the magical transformation that had somehow happened overnight. Wow, I breathed. Oh, wow. The entire cafe had been decorated for Christmas, in keeping with the vintage style that Lizzie loved so much, but with such finesse that it looked more like a Kath Kidston-inspired set for a photo shoot than a real business. Paper chains in pretty pastel shades decked the ceilings and door frames, along with pictures and napkins featuring the little Rudolph that Lizzie had scaled down from the one she painted for the Christmas switch on. The crowning glory, however, was her collection of vintage snow globes, which she had arranged along the shelves in the crafting area and festooned with old-fashioned cotton wool snow, glitter and fairy lights. The entire cafe looked like a very grown-up grotto and I couldn't wait to welcome the customers and listen to what they had to say about it. It's cute, isn't it? said Lizzie, her own outfit cleverly matching the decor. Every year I say it, but I don't think this place can get any prettier. It's gorgeous, I beamed, absolutely beautiful. Thank you, she blushed. And in about half an hour, it's going to be heaving. So let's get everything ready. 
Rather than just waiting on tables, I was going to be helping out with the first festive crafting session of the season. A dozen keen crafters had signed up almost as soon as the details of the event had been made available, and they were going to be making bespoke Christmas crackers. In the crafting area, Lizzie already had everything organised and arranged neatly in boxes, much as I had expected. And beyond setting everything out, there was actually very little left for me to do. We're only going to have three tables that aren't set up for crafters today, said Gemma as she rushed through with the basket of cutlery. And I can easily manage to wait on those myself, so don't worry about spreading yourself thin, Ruby. You just help with the crafting. What's on the menu? I asked, my mouth already watering in anticipation. I kept it simple, said Gemma. Let's see. Well, we've got quiches. The triple cheese is to die for, cut in Lizzie. Avocado and walnut salad, Gemma continued. Spiced butternut and sweet potato soup. Fresh hot buttered rolls. Oh, Gemma, stop. I said, stop. I've been looking forward to today all week. I don't want to wish the morning away just to get on with lunch. Gemma was delighted by my reaction. There was no time to hear what she was going to say, though, as the little bells sang out and the first of the crafters arrived. Their noses were pinched and red and their fingers blue, desperate for a steaming mug to warm them up and return them to a healthier hue. Oh, girls, cried one as she took in the pretty scene before her. This all looks adorable. Lizzie, you are so clever. I wish you'd come and decorate my house. Now there's a thought, said another, eyeing Lizzie in an evidently new light. Have you thought about offering combined services beyond the cafe? Right, I said, stepping forward in an attempt to get the session started. Why don't you all find a seat and I'll help Gemma with the drinks. Half an hour later and almost every seat in the cafe was filled. The chatter had risen above the level of the Christmas CD which was playing in the background and all thoughts of expanding the cherry tree empire had been forgotten, for the time being at least. Looking through the supplies and equipment, I could see that Lizzie had cleverly chosen a huge variety of papers in all sorts of colours and patterns for the main body of the crackers. My personal favourites were the pretty pastel floral and polka dot sheets, which matched the cafe decor, along with the more traditional rolls, which were patterned with holly, ivy and mistletoe. There were ribbons and bows to match all options, along with the obligatory snaps, paper hats and cardboard innards. Some of the group, I noticed, had decided not to use the novelties and jokes supplied and came prepared with their trinkets and treats of their own, which they spread out on the table for everyone to admire. These bespoke crackers were going to be given to their owners with matching labels, with the recipient's name in Lizzie's neatest handwriting written on them, so the gift was guaranteed to get to the right person. Once everyone had had a trial run and refined their technique, they settled down and the chatter gradually quietened as they focused on their work. The crackers didn't take all that long to put together, and once packed inside the beautiful matching boxes Lizzie had sourced and tied up with ribbon, they looked extremely smart. I particularly liked the sets which had the ends of the paper shaped by dexterous use of some clever scallop-bladed scissors Lizzie had presented with a flourish at the start of the session. Most of the boxes held six crackers together, but practically everyone was making more, and I guess that a lot were going to be given away as gifts. Just as I had hoped, the hours spent in the soothing embrace of the cosy cherry tree cafe had proved a calming balm for my troubled mind, and watching Gemma zip about with her competent skill set and efficient organisation made me realise that with her at the helm in the town hall kitchen, the bake sale next week was bound to be a success. 
In fact, by the time I helped clear away the empty plates and bowls, I was really beginning to look forward to it. There you go. And that was a little taste of life at the Cherry Tree Cafe. I want to go. What's the address? <laughs> Isn't it gorgeous? And it has a flowering cherry tree out the front with tables and chairs that you can sit outside. So if you've got your dog, you can sit out there with the dog. And oh, it's just a bliss. It's lovely. Oh, I can see it. Thank you so, so much for reading that. It was marvelous. I love your style. Thank you. I was here just with my eyes closed, totally drawn into the story. 100%. Oh, I love that. Thank you. It was beautiful. Thank you so much. You have an amazing writing style and you read wonderfully as well. Do you also transition things into audiobooks? No, I don't. I have a lovely reader called Karen Cass and she reads the audiobooks for me. And do you know what? I have to admit that when the paperbacks arrive, I open the box and I read the dedication and I read the acknowledgements in the back. And I very, very rarely dive back into the book. Yeah, once it's out there, I kind of, I don't know. I know I'm going to be happy with it, but yeah, I never read them. But actually, because it's a long time since I wrote Mince Pies and Mistletoe, I really enjoyed it. And I realise now why everybody's still in love with the Cherry Tree Cafe. That's right. And we all are going to be too, because I know there are going to be a lot of people who are going to want to grab all these books and read them. So where would people go to find your books, Heidi? I think where you are in the US, I think your best bet is to go to Amazon. I had a look on Amazon.com this morning and they are all listed on there. They're all on ebook and paperback and audio too. So I think you should be able to get them just as easily as I can here in the UK. Beautiful. And I'm like not even kidding you. When we are done recording, I'm going on to Amazon. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I'm really serious about that. I am. And I'm glad you're not going back and reading because I want you writing more. I want more already. <laughs> well, I can't remember if it was this year or last year. I think it was the end of last year. I signed a four book deal. I usually sign a two or a three, but this time we went for a four book deal. There are three more to write in that deal. So there are loads to come. And every time I kind of get to the end of a book, the idea for the next couple are already starting to come in, which is great. And are they all the type of thing where they merge characters, one character transcends or appears later? Yeah, they are. So I wrote the first few set in Wimbridge, and then I moved to Norwich in Nightingale Square. And there was the main character who moved there, had relatives back in Wimbridge. So there was still kind of like the crossover. And it's the same with the seaside setting in Winmouth as well. There are characters there who are linked to other places. And in the Winter Garden, a couple of the characters take a day trip to the seaside. So you briefly catch up with people in the pub and on the beach. And yeah, so they're all kind of, they're all interlinked. Oh my gosh, so excited. Thank you so much for sharing. And as we wind down here, will you talk with us a little bit about what Christmas looks like for you over in the UK? How you traditionally celebrate. We're going to skip this year. But as a traditional Christmas, how would you be celebrating over there? To be honest, you know, it's not going to be all that different for me. I am going to miss going into the city. I love going up to the city. I love Christmas shopping. As you might have guessed, I'm a bit of a list maker. So my Christmas shopping is spread out along a good few weeks and I will just shop for one person at a time. Everything else is the same. I love Christmas. Christmas is my favourite time of the year. And for me, it always centres around home and family and food and films. It's just such a wonderful opportunity to all come together. 
And I'm a pagan lady as well. So I celebrate the solstice on the 21st. And so we've got lots of greenery in the house, lots of holly and ivy and mistletoe and candles. But my one tradition that I won't break for anything, and I'm hoping it's going to happen this year, is that I always listen to carols from Kings, which happens here on, it's screened here on Christmas Eve, I guess about five o'clock in the evening, perhaps a bit earlier than that. And I always have to be sitting down with a glass of mulled wine and a mince pie, and I have to watch that. That's one thing that I like to do at exactly the same time every year, but everything else is kind of fairly flexible. Yeah, I do a lot of baking and oh, I love it. I love it. And what does your Christmas tree look like? Christmas tree is, we don't have a real tree. We have an artificial tree and we've had it forever. I mean, it probably needs replacing, but it's tradition. Mm -hmm. And our tree is mostly gold and burgundy. And I like to collect little fawn, little deers. And I've got some which have got glitter on. They're all quite kitsch. And some which are velvet. So we've got lots of those on there. Lots of handmade decorations. My mum's a great sewer and she made some gorgeous decorations for us a few years ago. And always on the top, we have two angels and they are made from a kitchen roll cut in half. And they've got a paper doily around them. And I think one's got a crown, which is made out of a yellow pipe cleaner. And these were made by my kids when they were kind of in the first year at school. So like they were four and five. And if I tell you that my children are now 20 and 25, you kind of get an idea of how battered these angels are. But they're always on top of the tree. (laughs) Beautiful. I can envision all of that now. So wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Heidi, for coming on this special holiday week and sharing with us a little bit within the book. Like I said to you, I'm so excited. And Gift Biz listeners, just jump over to Amazon and look for Heidi Swain. Just put in her name as the author. And I'll also have links in the show notes page. I'll link your first book and then the Cherry Tree Cafe and then the one you just read from. And then all your other books, I'm sure, will pop up there as well. will show up. And I'm on social media a lot as well. And I love chatting to people on social media. So if you search for me online, I'm more than happy to chat with people and connect. I'd love that. Beautiful. So all traditional places, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Heidi, a very, very Merry Christmas to you. And we're all going to look forward to the books that are coming out in the future. Thank you so much. I'll just quickly take the opportunity to wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas and a safe, happy and healthy new year. So I have to tell you, if I lived in the UK, Heidi and I would be fast friends. As we talked before and after recording the podcast, we found more and more that we have in common. But since I'm here and she's there, I'll have to do with her books. Make no mistake, the small clippet of the story she read is full of fancy and Christmas fun. But there's drama and emotion threaded throughout, too. I've been enchanted. It will do your heart good to experience Heidi's story for yourself. And then we could compare our favorite characters. Next week is the final countdown of the year. And I'm going out on a limb here, but I'm thinking we're all looking forward to the calendar rolling over and 2020 being history. A new year brings motivation and a revitalized sense of opportunity. And that's the vibe I went for with our next guest. We're freshening things up for the new year. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. If you'd like to show support for the podcast, please leave a rating and review. 
that means so much and helps the show get seen by other makers. It's a great way to pay it forward. Have a beautiful, peaceful, and memorable Christmas. Even though it looks different this year, we can still find beauty in the season. Even if you celebrate a different holiday. Appreciating time with those we can be with. Being in the moment and experiencing the flicker of the fire. Truly listening to the words of your favorite carols. So many wonderful things to take in. Be safe and well, and I'll see you next week on the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Merry Christmas! I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other. I've got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week, to get reaction from other people, and just for fun, because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making. My favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze. Today, 